Aloha and welcome to Conversations to Enlighten and Heal. Today I'll be speaking with Dr. John J. Lerma, best-selling author of Into the Light, real-life stories about angelic visits, visions of the afterlife, and other pre-death experiences, which is being translated into five languages. Dr. Lerma's most recent book is Learning from the Light, Pre-Death Experiences, Prophecies, and Angelic Messages of Hope. Conversations is sponsored by HealthMasterySystems.com, Holistic Products for Body, Mind, and Soul, and PurePlanEssentials.com, Organic Aromatherapy. Please visit these websites today. Be sure to check out the iTunes store and subscribe for the complete lineup of shows on Conversations to Enlighten and Heal. Dr. John Lerma is widely known for his compassionate and loving care of thousands of terminally ill patients. Dr. Lerma has done extensive research in end-of-life care and is the inpatient medical director for the internationally renowned Hospice Medical Center of Houston, Texas. Dr. Lerma has taught hospice and palliative medicine at several medical institutions and is an international speaker on pre-death experiences. A frequent guest on national and international media, Dr. Lerma is working on two full-length feature documentaries with regards to proving life after death and its quantum nature. Dr. Lerma has created a nonprofit organization, Hearts Without Borders, which takes the hospice concept to underserved areas in South America. To learn more about Dr. John J. Lerma and his nonprofit organization, Hearts Without Borders, please visit his website, where you can also subscribe to his blog at drjohnlerma.com. That's Dr. Dr. John Lerma.com. Please welcome to the show my very special guest, Dr. John J. Lerma. Aloha, Dr. John. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, KG. I really appreciate it. You've devoted your career to compiling stories and scientific research on pre-death experiences from countless terminally ill patients, which you write about in your book, Into the Light. How can knowledge of death ease our pain and fear as we prepare to leave the physical body, John? Well, I tell you what. First of all, uh, um, that's a mouthful, <laughs> right? That's a uh, that's a lot. It, it the, the big the big uh, thing. If I can back up a little bit, uh, what really what really has brought me um, into the the uh, the hospice arena. Um, it's really a love of mine now, and it's a passion um, that I think I've, God has uh, led me to, and it's He's been leading me to all my life. And it's because I've always somehow been involved around death and dying, uh, personally, uh, the, the family members, and then as I go through med school, um, I was always um, asked to uh, to be around uh, people. And I'm not sure why the doctors would ask me would say, "Hey, can you help us out with these people that are dying?" And and I think part of it might have been because I was very com- one of the, a very compassionate um, person, uh, very spiritual, unlike many of the other physicians. And uh, so I would sit with these people, and as they were dying, and during that time, that's in the 80s, that's at the advent of the AIDS. Uh, really, it's maxing out at that moment and that time period. Uh, many people are dying, you know, not just homosexuals. I mean, we're talking little kids and and women and, and so forth uh, from blood products and so forth. And that's when I really, it really struck me. I said, wow, there, why isn't there a, um, uh, you know, specialty in this? 
death and dying and of course I asked my, my professors and says well we're not we're not trained uh, you know uh, to, to take care of the dying we're trained to take care of the living and uh, and uh, we don't think it's ever going to be a specialty it's if you want to do something like that you've got to just uh, have a love of that of yourself and just sort of direct yourself in that in, into that uh, arena and I just really found that uh, so sad because these people that, you know, we take care of everybody, uh, you know, we're supposed to do no harm as physicians and then at the very end of life, uh, what, we, we let them go and then uh, nurses and other personnel, non-physician personnel end up taking care of people, especially family members and no one knows what to do. Mm-hmm. No one knows, you know, and, and these people are, are dying of, of with this basically the same way. They're, they're at the end of life, it doesn't matter if you're terminally ill doesn't matter if you had cancer or a stroke or heart attack at the very end the last four weeks it all culminates it all comes into you know all the paths lead to one and that is that your kidneys start to fail mm-hmm. uh, you know you, you're uh, you know you could get very weak you're bed bound uh, and because your kidneys start to fail your urine output decreases but mm-hmm. our bodies are made up of 80 percent water mm-hmm. so the water that we have so if you ate 100 pounds, 80 pounds of that is that you have on you is, is still water, mm-hmm. and it's got you got to get rid of it. So where does it go? It goes into your lungs mm-hmm. because you. So, and, <clears throat> and 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 that's what people end up dying from. They end up dying from respiratory failure, from basically suffocation. Mm-hmm. And and I've known this, and I and I fought this and fought this, and finally <laughs> myself and other doctors, we got uh, you know said, well, we need doctors to be taking care of these people. We, we need to be uh, giving them, uh, you know, the only drug that works to prevent the suffocation is morphine. Mm-hmm. Uh, mor- morphine is, of course, people say, oh, morphine, it will kill you. No, no, it, it's for pain. We know now that morphine is probably the best drug ever made because it, it, everyone's a, it keeps you from that her- horrific pain. It keeps our soldiers from this her- horrific pain when they're you know, lost a leg or something, mm-hmm. but also at the end of life, the one thing that we all culminate together is suffocation, mm-hmm. and it and it cuts the nerve from uh, to the brain that uh, tells you you're suffocating. Mm-hmm. And so, like my dad a year ago, uh, I took care of him. Uh, he didn't want any of the doctors, so I went and I did, and and he died the same way. He had heart failure, full of fluid, suffocating, and fi- finally, you know, the biggest obstacle. It's usually a family member doesn't want you to do anything. Uh-huh. They think you're going to accelerate things, and, and and you don't. We're we're comforting things. You know, it may appear that things are being accelerated. Uh, you know, to push someone or to help them in a transition, uh, uh, but it, but it's not. So you know, giving my dad the, the the morphine. Oh my God! I tell you what, within an hour, you could still. He was still full of fluid. Three quarters of his lung filled with fluid. But he could talk at that point. Mm-hmm. He was talking, and and he was. Uh, and I said, Dad, I, do you feel like you're suffocating? He goes, No, this is incredible. I don't feel a thing. Mm-hmm. And and so I, we do know that 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 works. But the the biggest obstacle for me was like my mom. Mm-hmm. She didn't want me to do that. And so as soon as you give them the, the morphine, they feel better. But what it does is it helps them transition because now they're no longer anxious. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they they can really sit back and 
and give closure to the family, talk to the family, give themselves closure. And this is where I finally uh, started to see the things. When I started giving my patients, including my dad, the morphine and learning, you know, uh, how to do it and so forth, and uh, and they're finally comforting, and then they, they're waking up and they're talking, this is where I started to hear these incredible stories. Mm-hmm. And these stories about, oh, my God, uh, Dr. Merlin, you know, there's someone behind you. You know, my whole family's here, and my mom and my dad who died are behind you and next to everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, initially you, you hear these stories. Uh, you know, I heard these stories very, very early on. And uh, and I and all of us, I think everyone out there who's, who's listening to this this, uh, this part or this you know, interview, somewhere along the line have probably heard from other people or their own family or maybe themselves directly that a family member when they was dying they said hey you know they saw their their mom and dad mm-hmm. you know everybody's heard that and but medicine is behind that that has really never wanted to try to understand that and the observation by that, literally millions of people billions probably of, of, of this and this going back to uh, at least that we know now to the Egyptians uh, the Egyptians were really enthralled by this because uh, they they would hear as the people were dying they were seeing things and so that led them into to try uh, these the studies and <laughs> what the Egyptians did oh my gosh very Nazi like but they would uh, put people into a near death situation mm-hmm. to, to try to find out what was uh, on the other side mm-hmm. and you know, long story short, they came up with, they did so much of it that uh, they came up with some some answers, and they came up with Egyptian Book of the Dead. Yeah. And and so, but they do talk about them seeing things. You know, uh, you know, uh, Socrates and and Plato talk about that, having done studies themselves of this. They talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Torah. You know, the Book of Zohar, which is the five the exegesis of uh, the five books of in the Torah. Uh, you know, they, it talks about, and uh, this is what uh, probably uh, what was it, uh, 400 B, uh, AD or something like that. And they're talking about how to get ready and what to expect when you're dying. Mm-hmm. And what they're saying in this book is they're saying at the end of life, just, uh, if, uh, people will feel very exhilarated. Uh, for the mere fact that they begin to see loved ones on this side, and these loved ones come to you just before death to help you cross over. So this is 400 BC. Mm-hmm. Okay, people are saying, "Oh, oh, we just heard about near death," you know, and, and you know, Dr. Raymond Moody, and, and who's a friend of mine, and all these other docs. Oh yeah, we we came up with an NDE thing. Hello, <laughs> it's been going on for a long time, and. To, to take credit for that, no one should take credit for that. It really goes back to Socrates and Plato, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 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 so in in reviewing this myself, because I started to see a repetitious uh, phenomena, and that was, you know, here comes the first AIDS patient, the second, the hundredth, the thousand. Mm-hmm. That's how many people were dying when I was doing my residency, and um, <clears throat> and then later on, you know. Uh, you know, just normal people that I had on my service passing away, and and, and the ones that could talk to the very end were telling me the same thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I'm saying, 
what is going on here? So I did a I did a study, I did a personal study, and I and I presented it, and of course everyone uh, they didn't mock it, but they go, well, you know, Doctor Lerma, you're 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 trying to to make something out of nothing, you know, it out of nothing. It you're trying to tell us that they're they're not hallucinating. That uh, how can you prove that that they're not hallucinating? I'm saying they are visions. These people are having something that are that is consistently the same, mm-hmm. person to person, woman to woman, child to child, man to man, transcultural, you know, trans uh, religion, everybody, religion, no religion, murders, atheists, agnostics, uh, they're all seeing the same thing. And I'm saying somebody in religion is wrong, <laughs> you know. Because, and then all of them are right, and and that's what led me into this. Oh my God, this passion of I had to find out mm-hmm. what was going on, mm-hmm. and so and plus well, I think it's the thing everyone wants to know about. Yeah, Myself, oh, yeah. I think it is, you know, uppermost on especially after midlife. If you live through midlife, <laughs> you know, yes, yes, yes. Um, it's I, something I, we're all going to do. So. Well, and you know, what's happened since, um, and and so just so to let everybody know that, so that's really the, you know, I wanted to let people know what the, the passion was, what, what drove me into mm-hmm. this, and and uh, and it, it was that it's my compassion for, for just patients and mm-hmm. and uh, be a doctor, not just to to cure things or to help people get better, but to help them transition. Mm-hmm. Well, you saw a real need. Oh gosh, and yeah, and so, so two years ago, three years ago, they finally came up with the, the latest uh, um, specialty in medicine that was it's called palliative medicine. Yes, uh, which is hospice and palliative yes. medicine. So I, I became yes. bored in that and went to Houston. That's where. Um, yes, I well, I know attending my father at his death was one of the most. It was one of the most incredible times of sharing I've had with my father. It was. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Did uh, when did he pass? Um, that would have been in October of I think two thousand and six. Okay, so not long ago. Yeah, not uh, that long ago. But um, it was very interesting. Right before, I connected with this Zhongshan master who uh-huh. gave training teachings about the Tibetan Book of the Dead and how to do yeah. that. And I learned how to do that just before, I mean, it was a surprise. I just got a call, and it was happening. And so um, I attended him, and then afterward, I did all the bardos for him. And I know how much it helped. And it also helped me as far as just that bond with him. And I mean, it was just a a wonderful thing for, for everyone, for the whole ancestral lineage. And, you know, some people, I think, have that sort of sensitivity like yourself to have that sort of awareness of that there are other dimensions there are other things going on here that you're privy to and you're just trying to and I think as people transition they begin the veils begin to drop between the worlds and they are they're not quite here and you know what I'm saying and begin to have impressions from those other dimensions and and where they're transitioning to yeah and you know uh now that you mentioned uh, these veils, uh, I guess uh, I'll, I'll dive into that real quick. Um, 
you know, um, it's like, okay. <laughs> of course, a scientist in me, you know. Uh, my my background is, uh, you know, I was a quantum physicist first. Uh, actually, I got a double degree from uh, University of Texas at Austin uh, in pharm- pharmacology and, and quantum physics, and I ended up doing a lot of work in quantum physics and then pharmacy, then went into med school, and, <clears throat> and then became an internal medicine physician and then eventually a subspecialty now in palliative medicine. And... Uh, but it was my physics degree, uh, all of it culminated. You know, everything in life, it, I industry, you know, I'm always such a believer that there's no coincidences. That mm-hmm. if you follow what you really, your passion, you know, uh, is, and you really search within yourself, and you have this deep desire to do this. Like, I had this deep desire for physics. I'm not sure why I came from a poor family. My dad had a sixth grade education, you know. Yes, my mom was Buddhist. My dad was Catholic. I was a Buddha cast, you know. <laughs> and, and 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 but it was beautiful. I loved that I then had the experience of both lines of you know the philosophy of Buddhism uh, coupled with Christianity and um, and and but but they weren't very 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 religious. Like talking about things, it was just I knew from the beginning of my life from my very first thought that we have ever had that you remember mine was at three years of age when when uh, John F. Kennedy died and that's how I can remember mm-hmm. my mom was so uh, you know it just torn up about it and so mm-hmm. it, it just it stuck in my memory and it's at that moment that I remember having a conversation with you know tele- I guess telepathically in my mind not not talking but with someone I remember looking up into the sky and saying God how long do I have to be in this body when can I go back? And it was, it's like I'm going, why am I ta- saying this? You know, and it's at three years of age, so profound. And we know now that <clears throat> as far as spirituality and death and dying, where we are, uh, the people that don't believe in past lives or in or, or or being or existing prior to being born, you know, the scientists, uh, they don't believe in that. So they come out and say there's no way that can happen because children at that age or we cannot we don't have that conceptual thought process we we don't understand uh, you can't make such a profound statement like mm-hmm. that or a profound mm-hmm. comment but uh we know now that Carl Jung you know the, the real famous psychiatrist oh yes uh, it did studies on that in children and would ask them what they were thinking and, and what was the earliest age, and, and he found out that a lot of people around three and four years of age were having very profound statements. And so, and as it went on, as they went on in the years, it, they they forgot it. A lot of people tended mm-hmm. to, you know, it, mm-hmm. it waned away from them. Mm-hmm. And um, and so what they were com- what he was coming down saying, and he's the one that believed in the collective unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. That there is something that there is a knowledge out there that we all tap it from, tap into. And um, and he, he was right. He was right. And he he's saying that we do come from, you know, another place. That there is a God of intelligence. And uh, but we know now that uh, that there is something to that. And what and what I'm trying to get at is there's these studies now, and which I have involved into my death and dying, trying to prove what's going on in the brain at that moment. Mm-hmm. So when people are these kids are having these profound. Uh, uh, thoughts 
they're putting them in these new new scanners, uh, MRI scanners. It's not regular MRI. Mm-hmm. The MRI was a, a still picture. It, it didn't show anything but a, a black and white image uh, of your brain, and it was in sliced in millimeter uh, projections. So you could tell if, there was a, if you had a stroke or a tumor, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But what they've done now, they've come up with these new MRIs that, that are in real time, so they can tell what's going on in, in real time. They're called the functional MRI, and the latest is called the MEG scan, M-E-G scan, if people mm-hmm. want to look into that. And it's uh, the magnetoelectroencephalogram. So it's an mm-hmm. EEG slash MRI scan. There's only two in the United States, and mm-hmm. it's really hard. Right now I'm trying to get to use one, although uh, I do have some, some research based on one of them mm-hmm. uh, that I would be able to get a patient but in there. But what it's doing is, like, say, when these people are having these profound uh, thoughts or these pre-death thoughts, you know, when someone's dying and if you can get them into the scanner at that time, uh, it shows up, it picks up by the blood flow, by the amount of glucose mm-hmm. that the brain is using. It'll show what part of the brain is is being used or, uh, or lights up to, you know, that's being used when you're thinking these things. And so what we have found is that these kids that are having these profound things are, are utilizing their temporal lobes. It's real consistent, okay? It's almost a signature pattern. Mm-hmm. And, w- and I said, wow, you know what? Maybe, and, and they, you know, and they, and they occur, uh, also, I'm sorry, these kids also believe that they're also seeing entities at, mm-hmm. that, at that time and age. They're, you know, the veil is still open for them, which was right. believing. And and it closes as you get older, and uh, and so and it keeps and it stays closed until you die. And so my thought as a physicist, I'm saying, well, it's got to be uh, this. You know, of course, everything. There's an explanation to everything. It's just uh, it's the supernatural. It's just we haven't found the actual scientific explanation. But and and God is about science. You know, mm-hmm. it's like uh, Einstein said. You know, and in the book. It, I wrote about this. It's science, science without religion is lame, and religion without science is blind. And uh, that was Einstein. And Einstein, how incredible! He, at the very end of life, realized that we were back engineering to prove where we were coming from, to prove a lot of what the the uh, the book, you know, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the mm-hmm. Egyptian Book of the Dead, the, the you know the the Bible, the Torah, you know, the Koran. A lot of what was in there were proving it, their parables and so forth, through now through science, mm-hmm. and uh, and so he started to come up with a lot of these theories, and we've jumped into that, and that is that there is a quantum nature out there to our brain, and that quantum nature to our brain it shuts down after a certain period of time, and it reopens, and so there are certain chemicals that are necessary for it to to uh, to open up the receptors in our brain. Mm-hmm. And that's what we found. That's what we have found. And now uh, the quantum physicists now believe that our brain is divided into two parts, the, the Newtonian brain and the quantum brain. And the Newtonian brain is the physical brain, the actual uh, tangible brain mm-hmm. that that depends on blood flow and sugar and food and to survive. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, and the Newtonian uh, scientists believe that's it. That uh, y- there's no telepathy, there's no clairvoyance, there's, you know, there's 
no precognition. Whatever's going on, it's within the skull. Mm-hmm. Now, the quant- uh, uh, von Neumann and Einstein and, and a lot of these other neurophysicists nowadays uh, came up with these mathematical formulas and they did this test of which I, I have pursued uh, that, hey, no, there's a quantum side. We know now that there's a, the law of entanglement exists. Mm-hmm. We know that. You know, they've done studies with atoms and separating them from the space shuttle. And we know what you do to one, uh, you know, you electrify one uh, when it's up in the space shuttle, uh, the, the atom up in the space shuttle will uh, respond to it. Mm-hmm. So we know that if you put things together and after a while that they become entangled. They, mm-hmm. they, so they'll feel the same thing, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll experience the same thing. So, you know, you extrapolate that and go, okay, well then, if that's the case, then there should be, you know, we should all be entangled in our families. And I think some of us are more aware of that, like the people who are empathic or, you know, like you're saying, compassionate, have more, yeah, yeah, more of a window on that. Yeah, and and so that's where, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm trying to just, I'm trying to get people to understand this before I hit the main part, and, and that is that so all of these, all of these laws, everything's finally coming into play to help prove mm-hmm. that there is an afterlife, mm-hmm. that there, that we do continue to exist, and and I feel that that has been part of my calling as well as many of the scientists, mm-hmm. and that is to help those people who are atheists and uh, or, or those people that believe just to strengthen their belief, and and maybe to change medicine and to involve it. Uh, not just into physical, but into mind, body, spirit, mm-hmm. medicine, and 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 that's where it's heading. So, what? So by these entanglement theories, uh, you know, we say okay, everyone's connected. So all of these studies now are coming. They're they're being worked on in medical schools. They're you know they're separating people and dif- you know they get them to talk. They separate them. They put these they put them under these these scanners and the EEGs, and they have uh, <clears throat> they'll have one of them think of a certain. Uh, a certain object or whatever, and then they try. They'll, they'll ask that person to say, "Hey, think of that other person. Think of that other person." Mm-hmm. And then they'll uh, sometimes they'll even just barely, but they'll electrify them, or or uh, they'll give them uh, you know certain foods that that bring up a, a really a, a real positive thought process. And so they'll measure it on the EEG, these little spikes mm-hmm. up and down, mm-hmm. and and they'll wait. Well, what's happening after ten? to 15 minutes and they'll ask the other patient in the other room who you know they met prior to to try to get into that person's mind to mm-hmm. just open their mind and what, what we end up finding out is we they really don't know what they're thinking and they never really come up and say oh yeah I know that guy is eating uh, this candy that's making him happy or that you're electrifying but what we're picking up is that the brain the the Amplitude, the the electrical impulses are exactly the same mm-hmm. as as they're doing that to one. So the brain's picking it up at some level that's subconscious. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and so what are we picking up from each other and from from the outside world that is subconscious all this time that we're learning from, and and at what point do we use it? And of course, anything that's in the subconscious spills over. Uh, when we need it to spill over, but especially in our dream states, mm-hmm. and and so eventually, so what's going on is now at the 
you know, you move forward to your end of your life, and these people now, their subconscious is totally open. They're totally open. The entanglement is not just to to other people, but it's to the source, to the source of energy. Mm-hmm. And when we put these people in the scanners, when they're having these pre-death experiences, mm-hmm. again, their temporal lobes, just like the little kids, are lit up for the mm-hmm. first time. Any person in between there and there that we've done, uh, their temporal lobes never light up. Nothing mm-hmm. ever lights up that, that significant. It lights up in little centimeter. Well, that's percent. more the emotional yes. brain and memory. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's, yeah, well, and, and temporal lobes is where your telepathy's at. Uh-huh. That's where yeah. you're all uh, the clairvoyance of precognition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the CIA, uh, did, and they're probably still doing it, because uh, I worked for the government at one point, they, you know, they were doing studies on remote viewing. Right. And uh, Yeah, I do yeah. distant healing. Yeah. So and I know how effective it is. That And so, exactly. So there you go. So the government believes in it. They've been doing it. They know so much more about this quantum stuff that they're not telling us. Mm-hmm. In fact, my, when I was working for McDonnell Douglas, they, they, they said, oh, yeah, here's the government Bible. You know, it, I, I tell you what, man, it, you know, I can't tell you a lot of this stuff, but I can tell you we are so advanced, way beyond uh, what Star Wars and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Those movies. Yeah. Oh, my God. It, it, one day we'll, it's it just economically, for some reason, they they feel they got to just slowly let out the, the technology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but the point is that they know this works. They yeah. know this works. They know this telepathy works. They're using it. Yeah, I'm in wonderment, though, that um, medicine really is not operating. It's still operating from the Newtonian science. Oh, a- absolutely. And that's, but that's now, why left. do you think that is? Oh, is that how we're being taught? The mm-hmm. med schools, the schools. But the why schools is are, that? Why isn't it transitioning yeah. more to a quantum science? Um, for I the training, I'm not sure. I think it, they're still just very. Most of the people are very close-minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, you know, the even with all the science to, to back yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. Because in a lot of it, it's not proven totally yet. Mm-hmm. And, and it's too evidence-based. It's not empirical yes, enough. Yes, it's very evidence-based, mm-hmm. I and mean, it's just and that's that. becoming more acceptable, though I think evidence-based. Yeah, yeah. And, so. and I like that. You know what? That's great. Fine. It's going to be evidence-based. So then. Like I recently gave this talk, another talk, using these scans, and at least people, all the docs are going okay. I go here. Here's these scanners, these scans of, of regular people thinking, uh, thought about God. Here's these scans of these pre-death people, one an atheist and agnostic, whatever, thinking about God. And so it's very, very different. I mean, the, almost the whole brain is lit up. And these people are weak. They have no blood flow going into their brain, mm-hmm. or very little because their heart, they're just about to die. And all, yet the healthy people barely have any color. It lights up in yellow and red, mm-hmm. has barely any color. And and no one knows how to explain that. And and so all I'm saying, and I told all I'm saying, guys, is that we've got to keep ourselves, our minds open. I think that this, uh, this begs for funding. To mm-hmm. do further research, mm-hmm. why is it, why is the whole brain lit up when we're only supposed to use less than five percent at any one time mm-hmm. of our brain? But well, I've heard that the pineal gland is most active uh, when we're first born, and then prior to our death. Is that yeah. true? Well, it I'm not sure. It would make sense, and what we know that that that's part of it. 
it's a combination of a lot of things. But what the pineal gland has is that DMT, the dimethyltryptamine mm-hmm. uh, chemical, and that is a chemically structure uh, structure wise, it's like LSD, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's it's a hallucinogen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Dr. Strassman, he has this book out. I'm not sure it's called the uh, the God Molecule, I think something like that. <clears throat> but they're putting all the emphasis on the pineal gland and and that one chemical. And, uh, of course, anyone, I mean, I've come to, you know, it's just wisdom tells you it's never just one thing, <laughs> okay? At yeah, least in our, our everything's bodies. holographic. and Oh, it, it, it takes, yeah. it's, it's collective, because then if it was one thing, it would go against the pattern of life. Right, everything right, should work together. right. And yes. Well, it's like the fascial pattern. network in the body. You know, yeah, the fascia yeah. really contains everything, and everything moves through, you know, so yeah, exactly. you're exactly right, and and so that's what my so you know I presented that and and everybody was in awe and they're going okay fine and so as of now that we're we're finally getting this funding but Dr. Bruce Grayson out of University of Medical School of Virginia uh, <clears throat> is really looking into so he's looking more into the near death portion of it mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, who else uh, Harvard uh, in conjunction with another study from England. They're looking into NDEs as well, mm-hmm. with the near-death experiences. So it, it's starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my hope is that they they continue to to stay, keep their mind open, and they don't come out and say, "Oh no, this is not the way it is," because then it'll shut it down. In a yeah, way. yeah. And, and <clears throat> but I'm going to continue uh, uh, with many of my other physician friends. You know, Dr. Jack Turner from Hawaii, mm-hmm. you know, the neurosurgeon. He, just been really drawn into this uh, you know myself Dr. Schwartz from Arizona uh, Dr. Peter Fenwick a neuropsychiatrist from England Dr. Von Pimmel mm-hmm. uh, cardiologist from Germany you know it, all of these people now are really uh, getting together mm-hmm. and, and that's good our ideas that's together. wonderful and, and so and we're all saying hey yeah there, there's more and uh, and so that's the scientific part of it but the beautiful part of it is if you want to talk about it, it's the messages that these people. Mm-hmm. Well, could you share with us um, some of the most poignant pre-death experiences you've witnessed, John? Yeah, I'll tell you the the, the first big one, the, the one that was proven to me uh, was a near death. Of course, the guy died later, so it could have been a real long pre-death. So, the, first of all, the near the difference between near death and pre-death. Near death are you hear of these these people who are drowned or, or were in a car accident or a heart attack and they die and they come back mm-hmm. only to tell that they were out of their body and they saw things. Um, the pre-death are people who are literally that pre-death. Uh, just prior to their death, they start to see while they're in their body. They don't have to be out of their body. Uh, they're seeing basically the same thing the near-deathers are seeing, mm-hmm. but more. And... and they're being allowed because it is they are going to die they, they, they are moving so they're being allowed uh, to negotiate a lot of things this, that word is used by my patients so. mm-hmm. and uh, so they a lot of closure and a lot of life review uh, but it's a very constant loving kind of, uh, of support from the other side mm-hmm. and that's the real constant side so the constant thing the only constant thing throughout the, the, the whole dying process, the near death, is that the other side is always good. Mm-hmm. It's always good. It's always very positive, 
it's very supportive. It's us that bring in the darkness. Mm-hmm. It's our, our self-conviction, our inability to not forgive ourselves, mm-hmm. our inability as a result of that as, uh, because we can't love ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> that is the hellish part. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the person not ready to make, not ready to make that move because of their self conviction of whatever they did in their life and it doesn't have to be anything horrific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it all it has to do is how strong your ego is. Yes. And and that's what I'm 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 teaching people is like, you know, work on a day to day basis, meditate every day, uh, get to know yourself, spend time alone. Mm-hmm. You have to spend time alone to understand who you are. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, the, the the pain and the suffering that, that life brings you is we got to look at it in terms of, of strengthening of our higher higher awareness. That way we we do we are able to bring heaven onto earth mm-hmm. and do good things and and make changes and follow our passion. Be joyful. That's mm-hmm. what God wants. Mm-hmm. And and then at the end of life had a very very peaceful transition. Mm-hmm. But most Americans don't. Uh, I would say about forty percent don't. The ones that I care for. Uh, a very, very have a very tough transition. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask about that. If if this is something, if er- everyone comes to peace, like you're talking about, yeah. uh, and and uh, you know finds that self forgiveness and self love uh, mm-hmm. before they transition, or people resist that and just yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. well, and they 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 will come. To, uh, the quick answer is yes. Everybody comes. I'm pretty sure. Maybe there might have been one person out of the thirty thousand. Okay, mm-hmm. that I wasn't quite sure. Um, but no, and at the very, very end, and I'm talking seconds before they finally come to, to it, and they surrender. But they don't have to, and that's my, and that's what they're telling me, Doctor Lerma. Spread the message that you don't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. But the good news is that yes, your body finally just it really does surrender. <clears throat> and a good example of this was this, uh, and I'll give you an example of of, a near, of these kind of messages and experiences I've seen. But one of the big ones I had was early on as an intern, and that was when uh, I was doing the ER uh, uh, program portion of my res- uh, internship, and uh, it was in Austin, and uh, a lot of uh, the, it was just really packed that day, and, and then there was this huge accident where there were some fatalities and children were involved and so you know we only had a certain uh, number of uh, trauma rooms and uh, and certain amount of doctors and then you, after that you have to close down and then they'll send the other one mm-hmm. to other hospitals so we got uh, maxed out and the doctors everyone had to take care of a patient because they were most of them were near uh, near death and of course it was all triage and because I was an intern uh, they gave me the the person that was probably either had the best chance of survival or the least chance of survival. And, of course, I got the person with the least chance of survival. It was a very, very old. It was an older gentleman, uh, just a lot of problems, had a massive heart attack, and there, there really was no no way they thought that he would survive. So, But, of course, I, I you know, I knew all the, you know, how to revive people. So this gentleman shows up, and his wife is right outside the door, to the trauma room and uh, he's having this heart attack you know we start treating him and then he goes into he flatlines he dies and, and then he goes into an arrhythmia so we have to shock him mm-hmm. and every time I shocked him he'd come right back 
in it. It was like, he'd go, oh, my God, and he'd say that, but in Spanish, and you know, Spanish gentleman, and um, and I go, yeah, of course it hurts, you know, that, it, you know, but of course we've got it, we don't have time to numb them up, if they're just dying immediately, or their heart stops, and I go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it hurts, and he goes, no, 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 it, it's not that, and and right when he would say that, he'd go back out, and I'd shock him again, and again, he'd do the same thing. Finally, after about two or three shocks, he 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 uh, he remained conscious, and uh, and I was trying to stabilize him and trying to keep him engaged in conversation so he wouldn't be too nervous. I, I started asking him, "Hey, you know, tell me more about what you were, you know, what, what was it that you were saying?" He goes, "No, you know, when you were coming back, and after I shocked you, no, no, it wasn't the pain for the." you know the electricity and it was every time he shot me I was in the corner of the room and I just like whizzed right back into my body and it felt like a roller coaster ride mm-hmm. and he used that term that first drop and I go really and so you know everyone's like doing their thing but at the same time everyone's listening to this mm-hmm. you know we've you know we've heard a lot about these things but, a, but to really have someone telling you at that moment whether whether they're real sick it it's, it's not that common and so I, I keep him engaged and then other people start asking him more questions and, and he goes yes I'm up, I'm, I'm up I'm out of my body I can see all, you know, I can see all of you and yada 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 and then he starts to really uh, become really weak we send him off to the uh, to go get cath and uh, you know they, they fix him up and and they send him out into the intensive care unit the next day I uh, in making my rounds see all the patients I had admitted I go first to the intensive care unit, and there's this guy just waving, and like, ooh, 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 me first, like me first, <laughs> and it's the gentleman that that had that massive heart attack, and I'm going, oh my God, you can't be, you shouldn't even be moving, you know, it, let alone talking and, and being so clear-minded, and but he was, and and I and I moved over to his room, and he's going, I go, are you feeling okay? He goes, I've never felt better. And he had had, uh, you know, uh, he didn't have a, a surgery, but he had a, uh, they, he had a clot in one of his arteries, and and they used his blood cough, the the blood uh, buster, the clot buster, and uh, which we call, and they used actually uh, medicine for that, which mm-hmm. is really cool nowadays. Mm-hmm. And so he was fine, you know, he got good blood flow, he, he looked he looked wonderful, and he's telling me, I need to talk to you, you're. You know, I trusted you when I was in the room. I was telling you about things. I need to know that what happened to me was real. And I go, when you were out of your body, he goes, yes, well, how am I supposed to prove that? And he goes, I'll tell you what, I didn't believe that I was out of my body. So I needed to look for something that I knew that you wouldn't know or anyone else in that room would not know existed or was there. So I... And as looking around the room, I looked on top of the monitor you kept looking at, the rhythm monitor, and up there was a quarter, and it was a 1985 quarter. Mm-hmm. And and he got that close to it, he said, to see that it was a 1985 quarter. It was the right lower hand corner corner uh, of the monitor. There was light dust over it. You know, the, the trauma room had just been built probably a year prior to that, and this gentleman had never worked it really in his life and uh, was an alcoholic and very abusive to his family and so mm-hmm. forth. So, I mean, it, I kept, you know, thinking, well, it, could you have put that there? Did you work in this place? And, of course, no. 
I mean, even if he did, for him to have a heart attack and then to to choose to be in that that same trauma room, that doesn't work that way. We we choose that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there's no way this man could have set all this up. And so I go down there and I said, well, you know what? Uh, I'm just interested. I'm, I'm, I'll go and in, in, in humor this whole thing and and let me go and get a ladder. So I called the guys to bring the ladder down to, to that trauma room and told the nurses, and some of them were there from that night before, and they were all interested to find out whether it was true or not. And so get up there, and sure enough, there it is, 1985 quarter, light film of dust, no fingerprints up there, like someone was, you know, holding on to, you know, the monitor or whatever, putting something up there. And it was there, just like you said, 1985 quarter. So I get down, all the nurses are going, wow, this is really bizarre. But, of course, immediately they get stormed in by another trauma victim. So, you know, we don't have time to think about these things. And so they happen day after day, day after day, but because of the emergent status of, of being a physician and things, we just don't have time yeah. to, to talk about it or write about it. And I wanted to write about it. Yeah. And so I go back and tell the patient this, and... And he goes, oh, my God, he just started crying and crying. And he yeah. goes, it's true, it's true. And he goes on to tell me uh, that he negotiated with God and, and that God is just incredibly loving. Uh, all of his deceased loved ones were with him. And, in fact, they were still in the room with him, he said. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they gave him that chance. They gave him a chance to to repair his, his self-conviction, to obtain the understanding of how to forgive himself and mm-hmm. love himself mm-hmm. because God loves us anyway but if unconditionally but if you can't love yourself there's no way you can accept God's love or, or, mm-hmm. or you know bring it into yourself yeah. and and uh, so he was very profound for the gentleman who had no education and that's what I've noticed on all of these I mean, patients who either have no education or little, little education or uh, are younger that they are profound, intellectually profound, and mm-hmm. spiritually profound, and the statements they make are just, oh my gosh, they, they give you goosebumps. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this gentleman, I started asking him, well, tell me more about the other side. And he goes, well, I can't tell you a whole lot because it wouldn't matter. You wouldn't understand it. It's the whole, all of these processes are tailored to each individual person. Mm-hmm. But one thing I can tell you is don't worry because they love us. The other side exists. It's out there. And when you're out of your body, you can see. And I, and, and I go, yeah, you know, I've always had that, you know, I've always had a hard time trying to explain that as a scientist. I, you know, we have eyes so we can see, but how can you see when you're out of your body? And he goes, I'll tell you what, it's the same way you can see when you have a dream. And, and, uh, so think about that. How do we mm-hmm. see with our dreams? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> we don't, and that's exactly the way it is. That's our consciousness, and those are, and it's all through experiences. And every experience that we have, if we don't, if we do not uh, provide ourselves closure with it or mm-hmm. reconcile it, we we carry it with us into the next dimension. And uh, and what he told me is that that God is eternal, God is eternally loving, unconditionally loving, that they will work, no matter how how long it ever takes, of course, they have eternity, to get us to achieve that level of uh, of self-forgiveness, of self-love, so that they can move on to the next dimension. Mm -hmm. And so 
the point is that everyone does move forward. Is what mm-hmm. It just depends on how every time you move from dimension to dimension, it's all about knowledge and lessons. And mm-hmm. it's not about, oh, you're, it's not about, oh, failure or success. It's, uh, whether you believe it or not, he goes, and, and, and even, uh, these children that I've taken care of recently, they say, whether you believe it or not, because everyone learns. Everyone moves ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, we think just because they, they've gone through a lot of dark issues and they committed, you know, heinous crimes, that there's no lesson in that. Mm-hmm. That's just pure darkness. There is a lesson in that. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just energy. Mm-hmm. Energy is the same. It's just whether you add a negative particle to it or a positive particle to it. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> and so it's how you choose to view it. Yes, you you commit a lot of dark acts. Yes, you're you're going to feed your ego, <clears throat> and the ego is is really our simple nature. It's it's the, the part of us that that uh, it it serves its purpose, but if we give it too much power. Mm-hmm. It becomes very egocentric, mm-hmm. and, and and it overtakes the higher self, and so now you don't have that conscience telling you don't do this, don't do that, yeah. and and so at the end of life, now you've got an ego, you know, right there trying to to deal with death, and and the ego because of the psychiatrist, ego does never wants to die. Yeah. The ego will never die. It will do whatever it can to keep the person alive yeah. or itself alive. Yeah. And so what it does, all these people at the end of life, they can't find forgiveness. Oh, my God. They, those are the ones, KG, that are lasting forever. They they will last with that fluid or water because they, their kidneys are gone. They're full of fluid in their lungs. So we can't give them more fluid. Mm-hmm. You, know? Uh, you know, But they they survive for three months like that. It's unheard of. That in, wow. in, in, in and of itself is a miracle. Mm-hmm. That in and of itself is a miracle. How do people survive like that? Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to survive that food or water past, at that, that, with those illnesses past 10 days. Mm-hmm. But they do. Mm-hmm. And, and, with, and you can see them there just, you can see the darkness in, in them and the ego. Mm-hmm. It's the ego and what we do in hospital. Has such a control over them. Oh my God, it, it's just, and and that's why I'm, it's so important to to place if someone's terminally ill, choose hospice. It's very important unless someone knows how to handle these things because that's where we on this side on the physical plane and and the spirits on the spiritual plane are working to help these people mm-hmm. because we're all connected in the end. We we need them to move on. You know. Well, we're all connected in the beginning, the middle, and the we're we're all yeah. connected. Yes. It's and, just and a matter of opening our eyes, you know. Yeah, and our spiritual them. eyes, our eyes of love, or you know, yeah. seeing what I call angel eyes. So, have you had yeah, any experiences exactly right. of the angels? You mentioned uh, dark angels and white angels. Well, have you personally you know, witnessed interactions between terminally ill patients and angels? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, like these, like these gentlemen. You know, the, 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 a lot of the um, everyone's going to see a white angel. At, at the very beginning, and it usually starts around four weeks, right about four weeks before their death. Mm-hmm. But my dad, he, you know, he, he died suddenly a few days, you know, he got sick just a few days before he died, but four weeks before, mm-hmm. almost around 30, 35 days before he, just the way most people do it, he saw someone in his door to, uh, just at the door to his bedroom. And he thought, 
someone break in or you know but he wasn't nervous mm-hmm. that was the weird part about it, it was like Dana weren't you nervous because, no, that was the weird part about it. Uh, I remember Dr. Uh, uh, Jack Turner was talking about one of his patients seeing a bright, bright angel or, you know, some being. And then it was later that day that she... But, um, so go on. I, no, I no, was just yeah, that, that she passed away? Yeah. She, yeah. And, and yes, but they... But, uh... Yeah, Jack. Jack is great, man. He uh, and to have a neurosurgeon tell you these things. The neurosurgeons are even much more conservative about what they say. So to have a neurosurgeon say anything, that's incredible. <laughs> and that's why I love Jack, and uh, uh, that he's will- that he knows the truth, mm-hmm. and, and he's willing to fight for it and tell people about it. Uh, but uh, you know, I tell you what, they do see after thirty some thousand people. You know, I put it all together, all the information together, and it's around four weeks that they do start to see someone. These are the terminally ill people. And, and of course, people will ask me, well, what about the people in car accidents and people who aren't really terminally ill? Well, we're all terminally ill, really, <laughs> per se. That's right. You never know. You, know? <laughs> you never know. You just never <laughs> know. No, I know. Yes. But and I, to I live in gratitude, just if you are awake to that, I think that really Amen. helps you to live in gratitude for each moment, to be in appreciation. That's, so. That is the message from my patients, is if you live like that, not only will, yes, the life will be tough. It is. It's, it's, it's meant to be that way. And, but it's also meant for us to, to find the joy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but if you live like that, you're assured a high, a, an easy transition. Uh, you assured yourself. You, you, uh, you have invested in that. And God can't do it for you. That is, that is what free will, my patients are telling me, is all about. Yeah, well, talk about that. Um, I was going to ask you, what are your thoughts on free will from the perspective of the terminally ill, and why is it a vital ingredient for creating Earth, you know, creating on Earth as well as in heaven? Yeah, well, you know, free will. um, People think, well, free will. I can make any decision. You know, it's about making decisions, uh, good and or bad, whatever we view that way. But the reality is that free will that that isn't free will the, the true free will is, is the choice to choose to really really it's almost at the very end of life to choose where you're going to go to choose whether you're going to forgive yourself or not forgive yourself and self-separate yourself from from your you know from your creator mm-hmm. and uh, from the source and uh, I tell you what there my non-hospice patients I care, I have cared for. Uh, I have seen some of those uh, people die like that, and mm-hmm. uh, despite seeing the angels and uh, even like either Jesus Christ or they say God or the physical form of God, uh, they want to go, but they can't. They can't. They said, "No, I, I, I did the things I did. No, I'm not worthy." And uh, it, they say that being in the presence of this light. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It 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 uh, it basically it's like a bright light that shines within your subconscious, and it opens up everything you've ever done, who you are, mm-hmm. about your ego. You end up understanding everything. Everything's very clear for mm-hmm. the first time, mm-hmm. and 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 it's at that moment that you realize what your free will was about and how strong it was, mm-hmm. and that was that 
you know, my ego was really, yeah, it's strong, but it wasn't as strong as my, my higher awareness and my higher self. Why did I do that? And and so you have to, you, they, they try to go through these, uh, the, the other side tries to help you understand through, uh, by tailoring uh, your life review to, uh, and the big part of that is to help you find forgiveness and if that entails having to go back in time it, they'll do that mm-hmm. and uh, you know I had a murder like that he, he couldn't forgive himself couldn't forgive himself and that was one of them but, so they took him back he saw a dark angel mm-hmm. but the dark angel which they described as the shadow mm-hmm. so an androgynous being it was next to another light shadow mm-hmm. a bright white shadow or bright being and they were like communicating he said Mm-hmm. They're like working together, and I've heard this time and time again, and um, it sort of makes sense, you know. Uh, it, it, I guess it's like everything's binary. It's that you know, positive, negative, black, white, you know, day, <laughs> night, ego, higher self, and 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 the same patterns continue to exist even on the other side. And so, I think that uh, the the white angel like he said told the dark angel something and the white angel left and he felt really just distraught at that moment well the dark angel just whizzed in to him into his chest cavity he said and at that moment he went he said he went back in time and he saw uh, he was a black gentleman and he saw that his his ancestry during the slave time uh, slave periods uh, one of them had murdered somebody mm-hmm and that at that moment that he murdered, he saw this dark being or this dark shadow enter him. Mm-hmm. And then his child murdered somebody, and then he saw that shadow shift into him, and then so forth and so on. So he came along from a long line of murderers, mm-hmm. and and he saw a, he got to see so it was an ancestral him. pattern that he kept repeating. Absolutely, and his son his son was a murderer, mm-hmm. and and actually uh, shortly. Right before he passed, he was he was uh, let go uh, from jail so he can come over, and and there was a healing finally had stopped. But he's the, the really incredible part about it is that this guy was not Christian or anything. But you know, in in the Bible, uh, and in in Buddhist text, it talks about generational. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible talks about generational sin, or you're just, you know, the, the word. Sin yeah, the sins just, of the father will be yeah. visited upon the yeah, yeah. children. And, and, and yeah, and you can actually. And, and as a scientist, I said, you know, you know what? Maybe you it's know dark now, because it's unconscious. There's an unawareness. That's exactly right. And and we're all again. What does that boil down to? Entanglement. Mm-hmm. Right? That it, it we are in a. But and a so race. that the free will is limited because we're entangled and repeating rather than choosing, making a free will choice. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, you got it. And uh, but we have to break the pattern for everyone. Mm-hmm. And we do it for our whole ancestral lineage. It's out of Amen. love. Amen. Amen. Yes. And these people are hanging around. It, that uh, It's not like, okay, you die and, okay, you take on all the sins and they're gone having fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like that. They're, they are around us. All, that's what, I'm telling you, about 60% of the people I interviewed said that there are a ton of people around us. As they're dying and the veil goes, you know, mm-hmm. the veil's lifted. They just don't see the angels, or which not feathered angels. Some do, but um, uh, but it's mainly just light beings. Mm-hmm. And they do see when they see their deceased loved ones. They are in the physical form, mm-hmm. and and it's all telepathic communication. It's all love, unconditional love, and it's all we got to help you. 
come on, we're here to help you transition. Mm-hmm. But amongst that, there are other people in the room that aren't part of that, that let's just say that entourage mm-hmm. of God, okay? That they're just there drawing energy from people and that they can see it. They can see these people sucking the energy from, not from the entourage, the spiritual entourage, but, but from regular people in the room, the family members. And, wow. and uh, especially the, the people that are mean and are, they have unresolved mm-hmm. issues and, and mm-hmm. I, oh my God, all these people that are coming I've heard of that. I've heard of what you're speaking about, that there are people who feed on other people's mm-hmm. lower energy emotions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and, it, and, it's, and it just makes that person in this world get worse and feel worse. And the way we mm-hmm. feel it is by, through anger and depression. Mm-hmm. And it, and it and it's it's just a domino effect until the free will to say, hey, we can cut this. You, you have no control over me. Mm-hmm. It's the only control you have over me is the one that I allow. Mm-hmm. And and when the, you allow, but the don't you think also over, that you need to ask get a lot of help to help you with that changing yes. those patterns? Because um, wasn't it Einstein who, who said the same consciousness is not that creates a problem is not the same consciousness that can resolve it, so you need to Amen. somehow da- mm-hmm. download a higher consciousness to help well, get direction and guidance to take one step at a time through it. Uh, you know, maybe it's kind of like the 12-step process where you need to, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I actually, I actually, uh, yeah, I, I, I was, uh, I, I was talking about that in another radio show. It's like, we go through it's actually a thir- the thir- the thirteenth step process. You know, the last process is to finally say, "Hey, man, I can't do this myself." You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm and maybe I'm that's really a good thing. Oh, you and know, you're surrendering the ego at that point. Exactly, but what does that all culminate to? It continues to go back to the entanglement theory mm-hmm. that everything is connected, mm-hmm. and and not just to say, oh, "Okay, we're connected." No, mm-hmm. but what does it mean beyond that? Is that if we're connected, whatever you do, you know, it's like the Bible says, to you least your brothers you do to me. Mm-hmm. And what it's saying by me. Oh, uh, yes. Well, I yes, feel it myself do. immediately when I do something that is a, a lower vibration emotionally or whatever. I feel it in myself. It's like I just can't do that anymore. It's suffering. It creates suffering. And so I think a lot of people aren't aware that they're actually create. They are used to that feeding that dark unconsciousness with that emotional pain. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And so, but when you start being more in the lighter side of the vibration, then you can't do it's suffering. You feel it is what it is, suffering. Yeah. Does that, are you following what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you know, it, you know, Pope John Paul II spoke about suffering, and he goes, "There's the two types. You can view there's the suffering you cause that that takes the energy, or you can, or there's a suffering. The suffering's not just hurting. You know, it's the suffering is just uh, being on on this planet uh, uh, away from our home. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and he goes, you can view it as it's strength, but yes, there's the weak suffering and uh, or the dark." suffering or the suffering that just doesn't feed it doesn't uh, draw from the the creator's energy you know the the, the vast energy in the universe it draws from each other mm-hmm. and so just like batteries it's, it's like it's vampiric or energy vampires who yes. yeah you will die there are people I'm telling you when people say oh they died of a you know you 
where does this come from? Oh, they, they died out of a heart, uh, a broken heart. Okay, mm-hmm. we heard that. We've heard that statement. It's existed forever. But there's truth to that. Mm-hmm. The, the reality. Well, is we're emotional together. beings. We're energy beings. To me, emotion is energy in motion, and that's how we. That's the language yeah. of the subconscious mind is the emotions. Yes, and yeah, and so we got to be very. Look, it, it's. It, it is. It takes a, a lot of knowledge, uh, a, a lot of reading, and uh, understanding of how to handle life, mm-hmm. how to be a human being, mm-hmm. and and not fall into, not fall prey to these things. It's, mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, reading. And, and that's where the strengthening is. You know, I think is yes. we're strengthened the by these. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So what would you say then the key lessons, you know, forgiveness certainly seems to be one of the key lessons. We're learning about forgiveness. That's the biggie. The biggie is, uh, from my, in my opinion, based on, mm-hmm. you know, the thousands of people mm-hmm. that told me, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the last little boy, you know, I, so there was a little boy, a nine-year-old boy, who had cancer in his eyes, uh, retinal cancer, so they removed his eye. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but the cancer spread into his brain, and mm-hmm. uh, it actually uh, projected out of his skull. But throughout that whole time, he, uh, when he came onto my service, uh, again, like I said, profound. Even kids are profound. Like they were in life, they're speaking like, well, like adults, uh, or maybe some adults. <laughs> well, let's just say with wisdom. Let's say that uh, with a mm-hmm. lot of wisdom, and uh, and so. Here's this guy, this, this little kid. He, you know, I walk into the room, and he goes, "Hey, Doctor Lerma, you know, he's speaking well, like no pain, no distress." Um, and he's telling me, "Hey, I like your, you know, as I spike my hair. I like the way you spike your hair." And I'm going, "Wait, you have no eyes. They they nucleated. They removed his eyes." Mm-hmm. I go, so I go, "Well, okay." I go. He was and, seeing and with the third me. eye. Yes, and well, you know how he he ends up telling me later how it was and and mm-hmm. how he was seeing, and that was that. Uh, oh, his mom goes there. You go again, showing off, you know. <laughs> and apparently, you know, I read I, reading his chart. He had come from uh, MD Anderson Hospital in, in Houston, Texas. Uh, you know, one of the best cancer institutes, and and you know, and he he failed treatment and came over. But mm-hmm. over there, while over there, he. He was doing the same thing, and I, the nurses had called, you can wait till you see this kid. This kid can see things without his eyes. Mm-hmm. You know? And But no one really ever sat down to get more info. And when I finally did, I sat down with him. So we have a lot of, in hospice, that's why I love it. I can, you can sit down for hours with a patient, not be rushed. And I did, and uh, and he told me, you know, uh, and I'm going to answer the question a bit through this, through this boy, and he goes, you're... Dr. Lerma, because you're the one that they told me to talk to. And I go, okay. You know, I, I maybe tell this to everybody. He goes, he goes no. And, and it's like he's reading my mind. He goes, no, I know you're thinking. What you're thinking is, no, you're the one. And I will tell you in due time the importance and what to do in life. And I go, well, first of all, I have a question. How are you seeing? You have no eyes. He goes, well, I thought you never asked. And he goes, I, goes, I have three big angels next to me. And... Uh, and he goes, you want to know their names? And I go, yeah. And he goes, Noe, Rappy, and Gaby. And uh, and I go, how big are they? And he goes, they're huge. He goes, they go beyond the walls. They go through the through the roof. And they're right now they're one's to your 
to your left and the other one to the right and and the other one to the oven. And uh, and they seem to just be protecting you. I said, well, what are they doing? Said, they're my eyes. They're telling me that, they, that you walked in, what you were wearing. And, and I go, do they speak to you audibly? And he goes, no, it's uh. all into my mind. And I go, so why, what's going on? I mean, what 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 do you have to tell me? What is it so important? And, and over a period of two weeks that he was there, uh, he ends up telling me. He didn't tell me immediately. He goes, the time will come. The time will come. And so he's telling me about the suffering, about the importance of suffering, mm-hmm. but that you don't have to feel the pain, that our, our brains, that our physical bodies, uh, the genetic makeup of it, that it's all already pre-programmed in there mm-hmm. to shift the pain signal into a joyful signal. Mm-hmm. In other words, once it reaches the brain, it reconnects not to pain receptors, but to, to serotonin and pineal gland, which releases things that make you feel good. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and so we are heading in that way. We're evolving. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, what's going on with people is they, they think they have to do it all now, but mm-hmm. really it's like a baton race. In order to win a race in a baton race... Yeah, it's, it's a journey. Yeah, it's several yeah. people. You've got to yeah. trust the other person. You've got to give them the baton. We're here play, playing a part in this this drama or play or whatever of life. Yes, and we're reaching yes. our destiny. But he goes, well, we're being evolved. I think that's a more accurate way of saying it. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And and he goes, look, where were we just? And he goes, where were we like a few thousand years ago? You know, he goes, true civilization mm-hmm. only started about six thousand years ago, mm-hmm. and and you know that we know of, and mm-hmm. from uh, from a planet that's you know four billion years old and. You know, and then I say, yeah, in a universe that's almost 14 billion years old. And he goes, we are young, but mm-hmm. we have advanced so rapidly, and we need to give ourselves a break. Yeah. And he and he says, look, John. He goes, this is what this is what they want. This is what the other side wants, and this is what they asked of you at the end. What did you do to have fun? Mm-hmm. He goes, what did you do? He asked me today to have fun. He goes, well. I had to go to work and this. And he goes, but what did you want to do? Well, I really wanted to go to this concert. Why didn't you go? He goes, the problems are always going to be there. Mm-hmm. You've got to trust that, uh, you know, make make good decisions, wise decisions, you know. you know, I'm sure there'll be another doctor that can cover. Of course, you don't want to be irresponsible. But he goes, trust me, have fun. And it's in those periods of fun that you're feeding, not the ego, but you're feeding your spirit, uh-huh. and 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 we are all, and you know, and I said, yeah, you know, in Western society, I guess we all don't do that. We're we're all mm-hmm. worried about the eight-hour day. That mm-hmm. are you going to have a job? We'll be on. The so that would be day. one of the other things to learn is to feed the spirit, uh, feed the you know, with appreciation, things that where we're in enjoyment, yeah. having, and that's uh, you know, I like to think, uh, not that I. You know, I I need more balance in my own life, but um, you know, the enjoyment of life I think is our primary purpose. Amen. <laughs> and that is where a lot of religions make you feel feel guilty. I know yeah. for me. Well, that is just a reflection of our own split mind and this whole thing that goes on in the evolutionary process. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and it's. And then so you're right, and we know we'll evolve now. out of that. We'll evolve, you know, as we awaken more, you know. And right now we're we're in a huge shift 
and our the way we're perceiving a, a lot of the programming is getting purged from the subconscious mind and you know that's why people are in so much fear because a lot of the patterns and programs that are being pur- being being purged you know they're being forced to be let go of um you're right. uh, You're right. You know, people people that freak people out because the old programs, the old orientations no longer work. And so right. now what do I use to guide me through my life? So Right. And, yeah. and that's when you need that bound that mind, body, spirit, and that's what he keeps telling me. Yeah, like and so all those things are coming online for us. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's just uh Helen Keller, um I love her um uh the explanation she has about, I'm not going to say it perfectly like she has in her quote, but when one door of happiness closes, another one opens. The But usually we're so busy staring at the one that closed, we don't notice. Yes. And you know how funny you mentioned that, Helen Keller. I, I, one of my stories in, in uh, the second book, Learning from the Light, and that's what the, my books are. They're stories. They're stories about this little boy. Mm-hmm. You know, they're stories about... Uh, uh, their research, their, their, the second book also teaches you how to at, at least attempt self-forgiveness and self-love. I have mm-hmm. some exercises there. Uh, but it's really understanding, first of all, the ego, what the ego is, mm-hmm. and, and then acknowledging every day-to-day what when you, you, you act on something or whatever you say, is that my ego or my higher self? Mm-hmm. And once you start acknowledging it, uh, you know, in, uh, knowledge is freedom. Mm-hmm. And it, it frees you from the... The, the chains that bind us and uh, from the ego mm-hmm. and the ego is really weak but so once you do that you, you can really become free mm-hmm. and you can start to say that's what I need to forgive myself on. Mm-hmm. you know what or you know what I need to reconcile my ego and my heart soul and say I love both of you mm-hmm. you know the ego served its purpose as a child because it's, mm-hmm. it's selfish and it needs to be selfish mm-hmm. and that can grow into self esteem you know exactly. and brought into the but, light yeah so. and uh and, you know, and so that's what the stories are. And and one of the it's funny you mentioned Helen Keller also says you know the the difference for me I think it, it was about a blind girl. This, this this story is really incredible. It's a, a blind girl who who's been blind all her life, like Helen Keller, and at the very end of her life sees. And uh, and that we all have documented. And uh, she starts to rise right before, and it's telling us exactly everything, and draws the angels. Um, and expresses all of this. So that story is really beautiful. But I started with, with uh, Helen Keller's quote, and I really I don't recall it immediately top of my hand, but what it says in this life, basically what she's saying in this life, uh, the difference in this life is that I can't, I, I won't, I can't see beyond the door. Because, but at the end of my life, I know that door, that I will be able to see something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and that was true. Mm-hmm. And there are stories about Helen Keller that are, you know, circulating that at the end mm-hmm. of her life she did things mm-hmm. like that. Yes, uh, I feel we're meant, you know, because we we can't see anything, you know, in the future. It's only with the intelligence of the heart that we can move forward into our future and holding each other's hands because we are all connected and waking up to that and how we can help one another and serve one another. So you're so true, but. The big message is it starts with yourself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and if everyone does it, if everyone just cared enough to just forgive themselves mm-hmm. and to love themselves, you got to forgive mm-hmm. yourself first. And in order to forgive yourself, you got to accept 
or acknowledge that you are doing something that's bad for you mm-hmm. or that, that's making you feel uh, down and, mm-hmm. or depressed. Mm-hmm. Of course, people who mm-hmm. are ill, that's, that's different, okay? You know, and, and I don't like to blanket it, and I don't like when religion blankets things. Mm-hmm. There are sick people out there. I know mm-hmm. as a doctor, there's schizophrenics and, you know, there's depression that's genetic. And, and so these people need more than just, hey, you, you just got to do it because it worked for me. You've got to just think right. it. Right. So it doesn't work that way. They, some people need medicine. Yeah. And, and that's what, it's a combination of things. And we've got to be very sensitive to these people. People like the TV media is so bad about judging people mm-hmm. that media, and that's one thing that little kids that watch out for yourself watching media. It is pure ego. Mm-hmm. It, it, it yeah, I'm not plugged into the media, and yeah, I can't. I'm not even on TV. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, it, thank but you. It, it, but it will. He says, "Let me tell you about the future." He says, "It, it will, and it is changing, whether we want to believe it or not. Mm-hmm. It is occurring because it is it is it, it's implanted in us. It's it's in our genes." Mm-hmm. And things are shifting, whether we want to believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And and uh, even if you think you're not trying, it is changing. And mm-hmm. just like the the Cro-Magnon men, you know the the uh, mm-hmm. the cavemen, we know that they're append just just a, within a forty thousand year period. Just as an example of physical evolution, okay? Mm-hmm. Their appendix was twelve inches, thirteen inches long, and it and it was much thicker, and it needed to be that way because. You know when they kill the, the the meat, you know, the, and they cut the meat, the meat would fall on the ground, and and they just they still have like little pieces of rock or whatever. The appendix was <clears throat> basically a bag to mm-hmm. hold, uh, you know, as the material went through the intestine, uh, it, it would it would uh, collect all the the tough uh, hardcore uh, elements, you know, and basically rocks and so forth. And that's where when people have appendicitis. What it is is that it's mm-hmm. people are eating their, their diet's not very good. They're probably eating the seeds mm-hmm. from watermelon or you know things like that, and it'll collect it and it'll inflame. So that's what happened with the permacum. But as we evolved and became more civilized, mm-hmm. and and our foods changed and and became much cleaner and and uh, much more bland, uh, our we didn't need that appendix. So within a forty thousand year period, which is remarkable. Uh, our appendix is now about half an inch mm-hmm. long, mm-hmm. and so that that is telling us that the genes have the the, the switches to yes. to switch it on or back off or back on. Yes. Like uh, we know that the dolphins and the whales at one point had had mm-hmm. legs, and mm-hmm. and when it was when there was much more water, we know now that the genes they have the gene uh, to turn it back on to to uh, shift it, uh, mm-hmm. reduce its leg pattern, mm-hmm. and to uh, to bring about the fins. So there is so much already pre-programmed in our body, and why? Mm-hmm. Because of so, because of uh, the importance of uh, of self-preservation. Yes, and that's what it's all about. You've and that's the primary yourself, role of the subconscious mind is to keep us safe. Yes, and mm-hmm. that's what it's going to do. But the world also has an involuntary mechanism, everything. Mm-hmm. But it's got a major involuntary mechanism that if we as human beings do not respect it, it's not mean or anything, it does it without conscious, you know, mm-hmm. without uh, intent to hurt anybody, but it will clean itself. Mm-hmm. And in the process of it, people might die, like yes. tsunamis and things like that. Yes. 
and, and of course, it'll clean itself and things restart over again. Yes. Uh, and, it's like and a so huge fire. Look at all the dormant yes. seeds that get yes. 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 germinated yes. through a fire. Yes. yes, and yes. and we got to respect also. Don't go build. It's like these houses in California. Oh, they keep real building and they keep being burned. Keep building and keep being burned. Well, the, the fire is fire. Okay, it's <laughs> going to happen there. Why are you going to go respect it? Don't be angry. Yeah. Your house gets burned. Yeah. Down. Yeah. You know, don't yeah. go build your your house next to a fault. You know, or build <laughs> it on a cliff where you know. Or on, you or know, I mean, there are just certain places where people build. <laughs> it's very interesting. It's that whole will, <laughs> the 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 egoic will, you know. So, but well, yeah, but that that's what it is. That's the bottom line to everybody. Don't really about to say something. Don't fear. There is. I've seen it as a doctor. Many doctors have seen it. They, mm-hmm. they, people are seeing these beautiful things. People are are dying with smiles on their faces. Mm-hmm. And and but they are saying, you don't have to wait to the end to find mm-hmm. that joy. Mm-hmm. We can do it today. Yeah, like you say. Yes, it's very important to find the joy now. It's the only place where you can find it. So, do you know Dr. Yeah. Bruce Lipton, his work, the cellular biologist? He wrote The Biology of Belief. I think you would find, you guys should meet each other if you haven't. No, I He's, haven't. Yeah, well, um, I have a good friend who's a friend of his, so I'd love to hook you guys up. I think yeah, you would, that would be, be great. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, because uh, he's into epigenetics. Oh, how awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. well, you know, it, 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 it's all there. It's, it's you know, everything can be attributed in the end, again, to, to science. Mm-hmm. And I think that that'll help. It, it helps the mind for some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, I, I don't need that, but I know a lot of people need, are very logical. Mm-hmm. They're very black and white, and so they need to, to understand it through science. And that's why I always revert back to, to theories like mm-hmm. quantum entanglement mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah, it all serves a purpose. You know. I mean, it all, you know, I, I think we don't want to leave any of it out. So, no, and yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I, if if people, look, all the the money that I get if, from my books, it all goes into my, uh, into these programs that I try to help. Like I helped in Venezuela, help start a, a hospice down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll buy books for people who can. It, it's it's not, this is uh, a God-given uh or gift uh, I've been given this ability or, or not ability but the honor of being around people mm-hmm. that are giving messages mm-hmm. and uh, from the other side mm-hmm. and uh, so please you know whoever out there you buy the books even spread it even if you don't I don't care <laughs> about the money if you buy one and you want to give it to everybody else go for it I just want people to understand that there is something out there mm-hmm. and, and by by understanding that and reading these Stories are beautiful stories. They're, they're loving stories, and uh, they talk all talk about forgiveness and love, and about God and how we we can improve this world, and how we're just loved the way we are, mm-hmm. and uh, and that, uh, that we don't have to do anything that. for love to be loved. No, it, it, yes. no, and you yes. know, and, and, and religion—that's the one thing I believe in the religion part, and, and especially because I'm Christian. When they say actions. Your actions don't don't necessarily get you into heaven, and what that really means is, is that it's just it's grace, you know. Yes, it is grace. grace. It's all grace. It is. It's all grace, and of course, if we want to think the actions, okay, that's for you. Okay, if you think you need to do something good to make yourself feel better, fine. But the reality is, 
that it's it's all grace, mm-hmm. and and uh, and just to be grateful for it, and and just say, hey, God loves me anyway, so I got to love myself the same way. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and that's the beauty of the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, that's so, a beautiful uh, uh, note to end on. Yes. So. Yeah. Well, thank you, KG. You're welcome. I, I wanted to just. Great job. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I just want to close, remind people uh, to learn more about Dr. John J. Lerma and his nonprofit organization, Hearts Without Borders, and his books. Uh, uh, please visit his website, where you can also subscribe to his blog at drjohnjlerma.com. That's drdrjohnlerma.com. Have a beautiful day, everyone. A warm mahalo. Thanks again for joining us, Dr. John. It's been a pleasure. Likewise.